Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, this market spent the last three weeks roaring off its lows. So after a not-so-hot day where the Dow lost 329 points, we were down a lot more than that at one point. The S&P shed 1.01%, but the Nasdaq actually inched up 0.48%. I got to wonder, have we already bottomed? I mean, isn't that the big question? That's what I heard all weekend. For a while, I was operating under the assumption that the recent rally might be temporary, that the S&P would revisit its March lows of 2,237, perhaps even taking out that level. I figured a retest was virtually, let's just say, inevitable. There was just too much weakness in the system all through here. We just knew things were going very awry. But now I'm feeling more confident about the future. I said it this morning on Squawk. I said, I'm just not going to be as negative. Why? In part, it's because the federal government has made some unprecedented moves to prop up the economy. There were some very good things in that $2.2 trillion rescue package. Mainly, though, it's because last week the Federal Reserve decided to go nuclear, pledging to buy the bonds of troubled companies and municipalities. Fed Chief Jay Powell adopted a Malcolm X approach to keep his economy alive by any means necessary. Remember, the Fed Chief has got unlimited firepower. Sure, it's great that the government's providing forgivable loans to small business owners so that they'll keep employees on payroll. It's great that we expanded unemployment insurance, and these checks can now be collected by gig workers, too. But for the stock market, what really matters is this backstop from the Fed. Now we know that they won't let every retailer with merely OK credit go under during the lockdown. And that's huge. See, those shares traded like that was they were finished before the Fed's historic moves. That's what I was looking at the restaurants, too. Then this weekend, President Trump negotiated a deal with the Russian and Saudi Arabia uh, to take 9.7 million barrels of oil off the table. That wasn't enough to bolster the price of crude. But without this deal, I think it was headed for the teens, maybe even lower. Now it probably won't go there. The oil industry is a major employer in this country, and the deal with OPEC gives our producers some breathing room. Maybe no more bankruptcies. Plus, it, it also allows the Fed to buy oil bonds if necessary, because now there's some hope for the future, although that'd be a stretch. If they buy Chesapeake bonds, that's it. They're out of here. Crucially, all these distressed corporate bonds are normally in competition with stocks. But with the Fed backstopping them, bond investors likely won't get the bargains they were hoping for. That means more money into stocks, especially ones with good dividend records. By the way, it means that corporate earnings could be higher because companies will be able to borrow at lower rates. It means their stocks might be less expensive than they seem in the out years, especially some of the fastest growers like, wow, what a throwback, Tesla, Advanced Micro, Netflix, all of which went crazy today. When you get that kind of shift, some very good strategists start changing their minds. They don't dig their heels in. 
they look at the facts, they realize they've changed. Strategists like David Costin at Goldman Sachs, one of my faves, who wrote this morning, quote, these policy actions mean our previous near-term downside of 2000 is no longer likely, end quote. He continued, quote, the combination of unprecedented policy support and flattening of the viral curve have dramatically reduced downside risk for the U.S. economy and financial markets and lifted the S&P 500 out of bear market territory. That's what he's talking about. Not only is he no longer bearish, he thinks the S&P could go to 3,000 by year end. That's up nearly 9% from where we are right now. To me, that price target could be a bit of a stretch, but Costin's reasoning is impeccable, and the guy's very smart. Meanwhile, the lockdowns across the country are finally starting to pay off, even though we're still seeing a horrific number of deaths. We are beginning to bend the curve. Plus, we're starting to get some good news about medicines that could help. uh, Listen, this Gilead's remdesivir, I mean, they got a small study, but it does show that 68% of patients with severe cases of COVID-19 got better. Not a lot, but it's a start. Maybe it's the beginning of a cocktail needed to defeat the illness. That's how it does start, people. That's how it started with the defeat of AIDS. Put it all together, and I feel like we can start thinking about eventually going back to work, although we still need a lot of things to, to go right to happen. Michael Semblis, who is the chairman of Market Investment Strategy at J.P. Morgan, put out an excellent piece today where he noted that it's possible many more of us have had the virus, which means we're closer to developing what's known as herd immunity than we thought. Once enough people are immune, the coronavirus has nowhere else to go. That's herd immunity. Testing's ramping, too. No, not as fast as we'd like, but Cephid and Abbott Labs are both doing bang-up jobs. More on the Abbott situation later in the show. If we have medication that can treat the worst symptoms of this disease and we have testing, then we can dramatically reduce the level of fear out there, and that's what really matters to me. You reopen society when we're not as fearful. We're not there yet, but it seems like a more realistic possibility than it did a few weeks ago. Could it be by May? I think so. My biggest worry, though, is that we open up too soon and we see a major spike in new infections. Because without testing for everyone, you can't know who's a carrier and who isn't. And that's why I'm so excited about something that got almost no press. The Apple and Google tie-up. They've created their own totally private, I emphasize private system, for contact tracing, which we know is crucial in order to shut down this disease. I've been calling for a Manhattan Project, something that puts together the finest minds in America to help contain this thing and get back to work. Turns out Apple and Google are doing it on their own. Their their system can give you a heads up if a person you just came into contact with has the virus. You opt in via Android or your iPhone with a free app. The government can't use it to track you. They don't know where you are. They only know that you've been near someone who's sick. Of course, yes, it involves the public health system, but that's all right. I'll give them the information. I think this partnership is huge. It's probably the only way we get contract contact tracing in America. We're not going to do it the way the Chinese do it. And contact tracing. Well, let's just say it's essential to stopping this thing. It's beyond me why more people aren't talking about this amazing partnership between very competitive colleagues. We absolutely need this if we're ever going to go back to some semblance of normal in this country. The system should be up and running by mid-May. Contact tracing, maybe something for antiviral, starting to get test, test, test. It's coming together, people. You should be more optimistic. Finally, there's one more reason why I'm betting the bottom. It, it, It may have been reached, and that's the charts. 
Larry Williams, the most renowned technician of our time, points out that we've already rallied 50% from the lows. And when you look at the last nine bear markets going all the way back to 1962, we simply don't retest these lows after rallying more than 50% from the bottom. In fact, get this, going back to the 30s, Larry counts 20 bear market declines followed by 50% plus rallies. And in none of those cases did we revisit the lows after that 50% move. Let me show you some charts. Here's the Dow Jones Industrial Average in 62. Okay, we pull back hard. All right. Then there's a snapback rally and it's smooth sailing, taking us to new highs a few months later. All right. Why don't we take a look at 1970? We pull back. All right. We rally. Uh, We rally very hard from the lows. Then we stabilize at a higher level. How about the toughest one? 2008. Okay, we all knew that this was a bad one. There we go. Pull back. Rally more than 50%, same story. I could go on and on. 74, 87, 98, 2003. If Williams is right and history says he is, then the worst may be over for the stock market. Look, we know earnings season starts tomorrow. We know we have to worry. We know earnings are going to stink. But the bottom line, when you look at the facts, I think there's reason to be more hopeful than we have been. We're still under lockdown. Thousands of people are still dying every day. The economy is still getting hit really hard. But the worst case scenario has been taken off the table. And if Apple and Google can do contact tracing that we all embrace, I know I will, while we continue to roll out more testing, the economy could reopen a lot sooner than we thought even, say, three weeks ago. Oscar in New York. Oscar. Yo, 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 Jimmy Jim. Yo, yo. What's going on? Oh, you're you're probably not going to like this question, but... I am one, um, but it's American Airlines, and I know it has a very poor balance sheet, but some people I know are being very bullish on it. So I'm wondering if it's, realis- if, if it's realistic to expect short-term gains on the biggest airline in the world if they make it once in a post-corona economy, once they start flying again. You know what? I'm not going to go against it. I mean, I was going back and forth with my friend Jim Stewart, and he was saying the real bargains, Jim, are in the airlines. Now, that was a couple of weeks ago, but that stock is all the way down there. I'm not going to be against it. I, I, I don't want to fight stocks like that at this very moment, uh, particularly when what's really going, uh, getting blown up are the cruise ships and the banks. Steve in Florida. Steve. Yes, sorry. Uh, thank you for taking my call, Mr. Kramer. Of course. Um, and also... Thank you for uh, keeping us informed about the virus. I do my best on okay. that one, but remember, so, I am like you know, I, I'm just a guy who reads. But go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I, you, you speak a lot of truths, Mr. Kramer. Okay, here's my uh, situation. I have a significant position in Bed Bath and Beyond. Um, like you, I liked it uh, a while before this uh, explosion took place right. here. Um, I bought I bought it at about twelve dollars a share. It's about five dollars now. Is it too late for me to get out? No, no. Look, just hold it for now. I mean, look, the problem retail retail just got destroyed. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You can't retail, as Manny Chirico said, the CEO of PVH said, retail is not built to close, and that's what's happened. Closing. Now the stores are closed, not the company. Anthony in Florida. Anthony. Hello, Booyah, Jim. Anthony from sunny Florida. All I've right. I've your show for years. Love it. Thank you. Jim, I have, Jim, I have two sons in NYPD, and they, they nibbled on Micron and AMD. About a month ago, I know you interviewed the Micron CEO, and now it seems like it was downgraded. 
What's your take on both of these companies? I like both of them very, very much. Now, AMD is just a horse. I mean, I just cannot believe how well that stock acts, but I also can't believe how well the company's doing. And by the way, just so we know, NVIDIA is doing as well, too. I thought the Micron downgrade by Goldman Sachs was wrong today. I don't expect weakness, but I am more optimistic than the Micron analysts. Sometimes it's just about optimism. Nick in Minnesota. Nick. Booyah Kramer from Nick Trong from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Okay. I'm to Boeing at $150 a share, so I just had a few statements about Boeing and what you thought about them. First would be that Boeing is planning to cut its workforce by 10% through layoffs, buyouts, and early retirements to meet the requirement of keeping 90% of its workforce by the end of September for the government aid. But Boeing is also starting to resume the production of aircraft as early as today in only Washington with improved safety measures, and around 2,500 right. employees are set to come back. What do you think this means for Boeing? I mean, I, look, I think Boeing had a remarkable move from 90 to 180, and now it's pulling back. Uh, I think it got back to, say, 110, 120. It's a, it's a decent spec. I hate to use that term for a great American company, but there are a lot of things that have to go right before Boeing works, including the FAA has got to say yes to the max. All right, I think there's reason to be a little more hopeful than we've been, I also think the worst-case scenario may be off the table. Man Money Tonight, being in business for 167 years means Levi Strauss has seen hard times before, from the Great Recession to the Great Depression. So how is the company positioning itself during the coronavirus pandemic, which has been so hard on the apparel industry? I'm going to talk with Chip Berg, the CEO. Then a few weeks ago, President Trump called Abbott Labs' rapid coronavirus test, quote, a holy ballgame, end quote. But since then, the company's faced a slew of criticism. Is it warranted? I'm going to set the record straight. And the $2 trillion CARES Act is expanding student loan relief. Those of you who have loans, you're going to want to listen to what happens later in the show. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. As we head into the most bizarrely momentous earnings season in living memory, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in the economy, so we can't expect much in terms of guidance. But you know what? The market's come down so much in the past three months that maybe you don't necessarily need a forecast to send your stock higher. Witness Levi Strauss and Company, the iconic jeans company that reported last week. Here's a stock that had tumbled from 20 bucks in mid-February down to nine in its lows last month, which made sense when you consider that nearly all the stores carrying their merchandise have had to shut down. And there's not a ton of demand for pants when hundreds of millions of people are in quarantine. But last week, Levi's reported a solid first quarter and the stock caught fire. The company delivered a healthy top and bottom line beat, and more importantly, management 
reassured us that they've got enough liquidity to make it through this difficult period. So even though the company withdrew its four-year forecast, suspended its buyback, the stock was able to soar, get this, 45% last week. In fact, after a small gain today, it's now up more than 50% from its lows. Can this thing keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Chip Berg. He's the president and CEO of Levi Strauss's company. to get a better sense of how his company's handling this difficult environment? Mr. Berg, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to see you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, Chip, here's my, here's my thing. I postulate something. There are two kinds of companies in a, in a time of crisis. There's the companies that just started and we wish them the best of luck. And then there are companies with iconic brands that are 167 years old that banks are willing to lend to because they know they're going to be here. Does it matter the word iconic? Absolutely. I fundamentally believe that through this crisis, strong brands are going to emerge from this stronger than ever. I like to say that crisis creates an opportunity. And as you said, we had a really strong first quarter. We carry a lot of momentum with us coming into this crisis. And we're going to use the crisis to to come out stronger. Um, We've got a lot going for us. We've got a super icon, one of the most iconic brands, not just in apparel, in any industry. Um, The Levi's brand, you know, defines defines denim. Um, We've got a strong balance sheet. We've got $1.8 billion dollars of liquidity, about $900 million of cash as of the end of our first financial quarter. Um, we've got an experienced executive team. I've been in place for eight and a half years mm-hmm. for me. My CFO has been around for seven years. And we've taken out costs before. We had to do it when we first got here. Right. We took out a couple hundred million. And we're going to have to do it again. But we're very, very financially disciplined. And we we go get what we need to go right. get. Let and me we'll see. do that again. Yeah. You have to do it again, uh-huh. even though you had a good quarter. You still feel like you even have to do it again? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think fundamentally uh, we're going to use this as an opportunity to right-size the organization and uh, to make ourselves stronger. We're going to focus on coming out of this stronger than ever. And we're continuing to connect with consumers. I mean, that's super important during this period of time. You know, Right as the festival season was about to, about to happen, Coachella was supposed to be mm-hmm. this past weekend, We've brought music festivals to consumers' homes. We're doing the Levi's 501 Concert Series every weekday at 5.01 p.m. We're live streaming a concert from our Instagram Live account and connecting with hundreds of thousands of consumers that way every single day. So we're doubling down on things that are working. And like you said, there aren't that many companies that have been around for 167 years. And during that period of time, we've seen it all. Civil War, two world wars, the Great Depression, We've been through all of them, and I've always managed to come out stronger on the other side, and we're going to do it again this time. Chip, I have to tell you that when I, I think direct-to-consumer, the company I felt that was most successful at it was Nike. I was shocked at the huge percentage of your sales that are direct-to-consumer. Yeah, when we report direct-to-consumer, it's just our owned and operated stores and our own owned and operated e-commerce business, and today it's over 40% of our total revenues. Most of our stores are still run by franchise partners, and uh, that rolls up into our wholesale revenue. So our retail base is is a big, growing, important part of our business. It's strategic for us. It's the third plank in our where-to-play strategies to become a leading world-class omnichannel retailer. Our DTC business was less than 30% five years ago. It's more than 40% now. Wholesale is a percentage of our total business. U.S. wholesale is a percentage of our total business is down pretty dramatically as well over that period of time. When I first joined the company eight and a half years ago, 
U.S. wholesale was almost 50% of the total company's business. Today, it's less than 30%. And it's not because it hasn't been growing. It's been sort of flattish for the last couple of years. It's because the other channels and our international markets are growing much, much faster. And that's been strategic. That was the choice that we made to diversify well, this company. Let's talk about the international, because one of the themes of tonight's show is what's going to look like when things reopen. You had a, a, a store in Wuhan. How's that going? Not only a store, our biggest store in China, which we had just opened in, in early October. And in oh. fact, I was in Wuhan the third week of October with some of my team to not only see the store and, and meet the team, but do a market visit. And um, that store was closed for 10 weeks. We reopened it on Monday of last week, a very big moment. Um, but we have about 500 stores, including our franchise partner stores in China. And uh, all but one of them now have reopened. Um, so we're back in business. We're trying to learn a lot from how to come back to business, what happens with traffic, how do we manage hours, how do we manage store expenses, how do we get the consumer back? And we're learning a lot through that that will inform how we go forward as some of the Western markets begin to reopen here, hopefully real soon. All right. And uh, in true Chipburg form, uh, Levi's launched a $3 million philanthropic fund to support employees, community partners, and supply chain workers. So you've been able to try. I know you had to, if you have the right size, you can't keep everybody. But the $3 million is going to help? The $3 million is definitely going to help. Um, in, in fact, included in that $3 million uh, is a grant to our Red Tab Foundation, which was the first employee-funded foundation designed to help other employees and retirees who hit some kind of a financial important financial need. So it is historically totally driven by employee funding. Um, it's well-funded right now, but recognizing we had to furlough almost all of our U.S. Um, retail store staff uh, this, this week. And, uh, you know, it's going to create a financial hardship for a number of people. So we made a company contribution to the Red Tab Foundation, knowing that there's going to be a need for additional support for our employees as we go through this this challenging period. But hopefully our stores will reopen again soon and we'll be able to bring those furloughed employees back real soon. All right. Terrific. Chip Berg, thank you. Congratulations on a great quarter. And a lot of people didn't understand the iconic brand and what it means. Always good to see you, sir. Good to see you, too, Jim. Thanks for having me. That's Chip Berg, CEO of Levi Strauss. It was a real good quarter. Mad Money's back after the break. Sooner or later, as I said at the top of the show, and I will say many times, because this is my theme for the next several months, we need to reopen this economy. It's not going to be easy. People are terrified of getting sick. You can't just snap your fingers and make them start going out to eat again. That's why I keep telling you we can't go back to normal until we have a lot more testing, testing, testing. Something, by the way, that Speaker Pelosi said on Friday's show, because we have to know for sure that it's safe to go out. A couple of weeks ago, there was a major development on the testing front. Abbott Labs, one of my old faves, told us that they've created a new molecular test for COVID-19, one that can return results in as little as five minutes. I told you it was a game changer. With these rapid tests everywhere, you could screen people for the virus on the job rather than making them wait days for results. But then last week, we started hearing lots of criticism. 
Basically, we're being told there aren't enough tests and the rollout's too slow. So tonight I want to correct the record because I think Abbott's being hammered for things that really aren't the company's fault. Things that, in many cases, management told you to expect when they came on our show. They, they delivered ex- exactly what they said to us. First, though, let me walk you through the details because a lot of his nuance is being lost in the reporting here. Most important thing, Abbott has two different coronavirus tests that were approved in the past few weeks. Not one, two. I think a lot of confusion here stems from the fact that people are mixing these two up. Little less than a month ago, the FDA authorized Abbott's M, as in mother, 2,000 real-time system to run coronavirus tests. At the time, Magic said they were immediately shipping 150,000 of these and would scale up production with the goal of making a million tests a week. These M2000 systems are used in hospitals and reference labs all over the country. And the company says they can run high volumes of tests, up to 470 in 24 hours. But this M2000 test is not the thing that's been getting tons of hype. On March 27th, the FDA granted authorization to another test from Abbott. This is the five-minute point-of-care test that runs on their IDNow platform. This is a small, lightweight, portable machine that's already the most widely used point-of-care diagnostics platform in America. When it launched, Abbott said they were making 50,000 IDNow tests per day, initially for use in urgent care settings with the goal of ramping up production much higher. Urgent care settings. I have to emphasize that because some people are thinking that that's not where it's being used. So just to keep these two things straight, the M2000 is the high volume lab test, but this is still pretty traditional. You have to send the test to a lab and it can potentially take days to get your results. The ID now platform has the rapid fire test that can be run right in your doctor's office. (coughs) Excuse me. No water. That's right. Um, it just got approved two weeks ago, and the production of these things is starting off of a, of a very low basis. From the very beginning, Abbott acknowledged that they're not making enough of these things, and they told us repeatedly that they're working with the government to get these tests where they're most needed. But then last week, the criticism started. On Wednesday, Bloomberg reported that Abbott's M2000 tests <coughs> excuse me, aren't being run as frequently as possible. These machines could have run a million tests in the last three weeks. Instead, they've run less than 10% of that number. Then on Saturday, the Wall Street Journal declared a slow start for Abbott's rapid coronavirus test. That was bad, too. The gist, while the White House has touted these tests as a game changer, they haven't provided enough of the necessary equipment to make them work. They quote the governor of New Hampshire, who got 15 testing machines, but only 100 test cartridges, meaning most of these machines are sitting idle. So, did the federal government drop the ball? Actually, you know what? It's not clear. If you're spending some time on this, I, I, it's not clear. If you, need, if you read at the end of the story, it turns out Abbott's new test has been very useful for local governments that went out of their way to order their own tests, like Detroit. We know Detroit's been hard hit by this virus, but their mayor was shrewd enough to order a ton of these tests right after they were approved. And he says it's the game changer we have been waiting for. End quote. If the cash trapped city of Detroit can afford these things. Well, I got to tell you, imagine uh, the governors who complaining, uh, who complaining they can't afford them. I don't know. I don't know whose fault it is that tens of thousands of tests are just out there and gathering dust. But I can tell you whose fault it's not. It's not Abbott's. So where do I come out here? 
I think a lot of this criticism is simply people being impatient with reality. Of course we need more tests. Of course 50,000 a day isn't enough. When we last spoke to Abbott's management, they told us that they hoped to be making 2 million tests per month by June and that they're planning to expand production beyond that. I, I think they're going to get there, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's by June. How about the slower but higher throughput M2000 tests? Look, it's clear that there's a problem with the distribution of these things. But again, the problem is not on Abbott's end. They've shipped over a million of these tests. Maybe the federal government has a problem on the distribution side, but I think the real problem here might be with the labs, where there's just not enough staffing, something we saw recently in an excellent Atlantic article about test backlogs. I've got to tell you to read that article if you want to know more about this stuff. For me, the most important data point here is what's happening in Detroit, where Abbott's tests have been a godsend because they're being used at scale. To me, Detroit says these tests work when you have enough of them, but we need many more of them. That's why we need more competition, more tests, faster ones to let you know if you've had the virus and become immune. I think the free market can solve this, although I wish the government was doing everything in its power to expedite the process, including awarding prize money to whoever comes up with a vaccine. Remember, Dr. Salk came from University of Pittsburgh, and that is not the way that I think people are thinking right now. I think they're thinking, well, it's going to be some drug company. So what does this all mean for Abbott Labs, the stock? While we own this one for my travel trust, the truth is that the stock performance is a secondary concern here. The most important thing is to contain this virus. Abbott reports on Thursday, but these tests are of no consequence in the first quarter, which could be impacted by any number of other factors. While Abbott can potentially make a lot of money on these tests, even if they avoid actively profiteering off the pandemic, which they will, the outbreak has also hurt them. No one's getting elective surgery. No one's getting non-elective surgery that can be postponed. We're really only doing emergency procedures that need to happen right away. I think that's part of the business. I think that business is going to take a hit, although eventually it will bounce back. But we'll know a lot more when Abbott reports his first quarter. No need to jump the gun. Let's wait to hear what the company has to say. The bottom line, even with all the criticism of Abbott's new uh, coronavirus tests, I still think they're exactly what we need. It's just going to take some time to scale up production. The rapid fire test only got approved two weeks ago. Of course, there aren't enough of them. But we know the company's going all out to make more. And isn't that what matters? Let's go to Barbara in Pennsylvania, please. Barbara. Good evening, Mr. Kramer. How are you this evening? I am good, Barbara. How are you? Uh, Living the dream. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Mr. Kramer, my question is about a stock called Teladoc, T-D-O-C. Yes. At the end of March, I purchased this at about 155. Last week, it plummeted to 147. Today, we opened up and ended up at about 154. Now, my question is: Is this a stock that's just going to be around for COVID 19, or is it going to be something that's going to be here to stay? What a great question! Barbara's asking the question that everybody really wants to know. I think that things have fundamentally changed. I think people realize that going to waiting room is a way to get sick, not well. And Teladoc is here to stay. And I think that it's a terrific service. And that stock's a buy. Mike in Arkansas. Mike. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Mike. Mike from Arkansas. As a younger investor, I took your advice and got into a pharma company. I chose Moderna shortly after their IPO in 2019. Yes. With the COVID vaccine excitement, I've got a healthy gain. And I'm considering cashing in and rolling into a larger pharma company, maybe J&J or Pfizer. What's going to be my best COVID strategy in pharma? Oh, what a great question. Uh, Moderna, you didn't have a big hit. 
There's absolutely, it's absolutely true. Uh, if you took a half Moderna off, uh, J&J reports this week, report tomorrow, uh, I think people won't like the stock. I just don't think they will. I think they'll find something not to like. That's, that's been the process with J&J, and then you pass. Because it always comes back because Alex Gorsky's great, the balance sheet's great, and the company's great. Kyle in California, Kyle. Jim, how you doing? I am good, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing well. Jim, my question is regarding Pin National Gaming. Yes. So you know Vegas and most casinos are closed right now. Pin recently acquired a 36% stake in Barstool Sports. Barstool is still able to uh, you know, maintain pretty quality content right now and keep the revenue stream coming in despite the recent pandemic. Uh, with states like Colorado legalizing sports betting, is this a company or a stock that you could see in the $30 price range again? Well, it was there. I mean, look, this is a, a Joe-like situation. I mean, there's no sports to bet on, and people wanna, don't want to congregate. Uh, I think you have to be willing to buy it and wait a long time. Now, why would I say buy it at all? Because I actually have tremendous faith. I see what Portnoy does. I follow him on Twitter. I follow him on YouTube. And you know what? He's an entertainer and a good one at that. So I think Penn's worth betting on. But boy, please don't be in a hurry. Testing is crucial right now. It's going to take some time to scale up production. But Abbott's tests are exactly what we need. Give them a break. Much more man money ahead, including my exclusive with a private player that can help explain what the $2 trillion stimulus means for something that's really bothering a lot of you, student loan debt. Then I'm debunking the miss behind the mask and telling you why wearing one matters. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I refuse to be as downbeat as I've been. And the reason why is because the numbers have peaked. I really believe that. I've been waiting for that. And it looks like they have. Uh, when the numbers peak, you can't be as negative as when the numbers are going straight up. It just doesn't make sense to stay as negative. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. For weeks now, as the pandemic crushes our economy, I've been highlighting companies that are putting people over profits. We're in a national crisis, and I think it's worth celebrating businesses that keep paying their employees even when there's no work for them to do. I think big businesses can do a lot to ease the pain from this pandemic, which brings me to Goodly. That's a San Francisco-based startup that gives companies a way to help their employees pay down student loan debt as a formal employment benefit, like health care, like 401k plan. Even before COVID-19 came along, we had massive problem with student loans in this country. Education just keeps getting more and more expensive and wages haven't kept up. Just a couple of months ago, Goodly was pitching itself as a way for employers to differentiate themselves in a real tight labor market. Now the labor market's a disaster. But Goodly's got a good, good new opening here. The huge $2.2 trillion rescue package, including some language, that makes it more advantageous for companies to give student loan benefits to their employees. I wouldn't be surprised if eventually student loan payment benefits become as ubiquitous as health insurance benefits or retirement plans. But don't take it from me. Let's talk to Greg Poulin. He's the co-founder and CEO of Goodly to learn more about his service and what it means for people struggling under the weight of student loans. Mr. Poulin, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. And hello from San Francisco. Well, thank you. Thank you, Greg. Can you give us a because you've not been on the show and, and you're small and private. Give us an introduction to the things that you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. With Goodly, we work directly with employers to help them 
set up student loan repayment program. So as you mentioned, it's pretty similar to a 401k in that we allow employers to make payments directly towards their employees' student loan debt. So the way that our system will work is we'll partner directly with employers to help customize a monthly contribution plan, which is typically between $100 to $200 per participant per month. And then we'll integrate seamlessly with their existing workflow. So plug in directly with their payroll and HR systems in a process that takes about 10 minutes for employers to get up and running. And then we can help to manage everything downstream of that. So we'll onboard all the employees, verify their student loans. And then on a monthly basis, we facilitate those employer contributions. But one of the really unique features of our platform is that we take all of those employer contributions and we apply it as a secondary payment. So if you're an employer, any contributions that you make go directly towards paying down the principal of the student loan and helping your staff pay off their, their student loans faster and save on the compounding interest. And the unique thing about our system is that by taking this approach, we can actually help the average employee on Goodly become debt-free about 30% faster than the otherwise would. That's great. Now, how about what, what do you think of what the, uh, the provisions for student loan relief in the CARES Act? Absolutely. And one really critical provision within the CARES Act is that it allows employers to make contributions towards their employees' student loans tax-free for the first time. And prior to the CARES Act, there were about 8% of U.S.-based employers that were already providing these benefits, but it was considered a taxable benefit for the employer. And it can often be a blocker or a barrier to employers implementing these systems. So with passage of the CARES Act, employers can now actually contribute up to $5,250 per year towards their, their employees' student loans that will be done on a tax-free basis. So those employer contributions are going to go just that much further in terms of helping their employees become debt-free that much faster as well. Okay, so what kind of uh, uh, companies are take you up on? Is it all tech? Yeah, so being based in Silicon Valley, of course, we work with a ton of tech companies, a lot of startups. But in terms of the employers that we work with, it's a really diverse range of clients. Um, so we have everything for professional services where you're going to see a lot of law firms, as well as other medical practices and folks that do have advanced degrees that often require you to take out a lot more student loan debt. But we also have a lot of employers that you might be surprised to think that their staff do have high levels of student loan debt. So one of the largest cohorts of employers that we work with are nonprofits across the country where their employees typically have to have at least a bachelor's degree, often an advanced degree to fill a lot of these positions. And then they're typically taking out significant amounts of student loan debt to finance their education. But we also work with a number of manufacturing companies, along with everything from retail. We work with a number of Ben & Jerry's franchise locations to everything in between that. So unfortunately, student loan debt is something that affects employees of, of all walks of life. And they've been coming to Goodly to help support their employees uh, that are struggling to make student loan payments as well. One last question, Greg. I was with a bunch of people who were involved with higher ed this weekend in a Zoom party, admittedly. And they all talked about how if you don't go to campus, it's going to be very hard for some of these exclusive private schools to get $80,000. Uh, do you think that there's some change coming in, the, in uh, how people go to school if we are not able to go to campus? Yeah, absolutely. And what we've been seeing from, it, from higher education institutions across the country is that they are transitioning to platforms like Zoom. Of course, all, all major education platforms are going remote, both for the spring, and, and that might likely continue over into the fall as well. So there's certainly significant changes coming to both how, of course, higher education is administered. And so it'll be interesting to see how higher education institutes continue to adapt uh, to the COVID crisis and how that will impact both the cost of higher education and, of course, within that, the amount of student loan debt that folks have to borrow to be able to attain a college degree as well. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be tough on some of these schools. I really do, because staying at home and paying 80 G's, I don't know. But anyway, Greg Poulin, co-founder and CEO of Goodly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much. Right, there's a novel way, right? Wouldn't you like to do that? I wish I had had that when I, was, when I got out of school. Man, money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the light round! And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? The lightning round is over. Frank in New Jersey. Frank! Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. member here. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. What are your thoughts on Dime Brand? Julian, don't like restaurants here. Don't like restaurants. Let's go to Steve in Iowa. Steve! Hey, Mr. Kramer. Yeah. I got a, qu- I got a question about Booyah. Uh, something that people don't talk about a lot is about families and stuff. I got a stock, Bright Horizons, BFMA. The schools for the little. Uh, you know, I mean, too many moving parts right now with uh, work at home. We're going to take a pass on that. Carl in Colorado. Carl! Kramer, how's it going? Not bad. Thank you. How about you? Good thing. Um, I was calling regards for the MGM stock. I've heard it's a really good buy. No, no. I mean, look, uh, I, I just can't go there. I, I think that Penn National Gaming is the only one I'm recommending, and I don't want anything to do with China either. Let's go to Brock in Ohio. Brock. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. It's Brock from Akron, Ohio. Okay. Good to talk to you again. Hey, uh, now that Otis Elevator and Carrier are spun off, What's your take on uh, defense play Raytheon, RTX? Uh, you know, the stock was up six last week, and I felt so badly that I missed it. I think it came down hard today. Yeah, came down half. I'd be a buyer of RTX. I think it's a good stock. Ah. All right, let's go. That's United Technology right there. Let's go to Jen. Jennifer, New York. Jennifer. Hey, Jim. A very special booyah. Oh, I like that. The Jill likes that. workers out there. Okay. I'm I'm just curious, what are your overall thoughts on Starbucks? It just keeps getting picked on. They blew it down again a couple of bucks today. I don't know, it tastes like a bag. Whoa, that's like the worst thing imaginable. I think Starbucks is a buy. My Chapel Trust owns it. I got a conference call this week. I'm going to address Starbucks and explain to people why I think they have to buy it because of China. Let's go to Shaheen in Oklahoma. Shaheen. Professor Kramer, booyah from Tulsa, Oklahoma, my friend. There you go, Tulsa. Haven't been there lately. What's up? So uh, I have a question for you for a specific stock. I know you're not really into oil and gas right now. No. But thinking of, thinking of it from a petroleum, um, uh, the companies that uh, do petrochemicals, I'm sorry. Um, I was wondering what you thought of EPD, Enterprise Products. Okay, that is, EPD is the best house. The house of pain. In a neighborhood that's being plowed under by, by everybody. So let's be very careful there. Uh, that group, the Masculine Partnerships, they laid wealthy people to waste. I mentioned that because that had been a way to be able to wealth people get a lot of income. Let's go to Lori in Pennsylvania. Lori! Hi, Tim. It's Lori from Philly. How uh, are you today? Well, I keep reading the Philly papers. It just seems like just okay news in Philly right now. What's up? It's just okay. You know it. But, yeah. um, well, first, let me just say, I hope you and your family are just staying safe and everybody's healthy in your family. We do a lot you know, of Zoom I- parties. We had an overserved Zoom uh, boozy brunch on Sunday. <laughs> you should have been there, man. Over? Holy cow, it was good. <laughs> I, I know. Thank God for pa- Zoom and Jaime. 
Anyway, listen, I just let me just say this. I want to say I'm really thankful to be able to call into you. Oh, I'm thankful thank you. for all the amazing. I really am. I'm thankful for everything you do. Also, all those people on the front lines. Thank you. You've been doing an amazing job. A lot of people doing people. great stuff. As I keep looking, oh. I see there was a great piece in the Philadelphia Inquirer about Temple University Hospital. It's must read. Must oh, read amazing. video. It's incredible. Definitely. Okay. Yes, uh, they are doing an amazing job. But you have been helping us navigate the turmoil. And let me tell you something. I'm really looking forward to the day that you start talking Eagles Nation again. But yeah. for now, I'm going to have to look forward to your Action Alert conference call on Good Wednesday. conference call coming up. You bet. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. Listen, Jim, I have, I've been looking at a company. It does well when the economy does well, and it's always had a reliable dividend. I think it's going to be down for a few years until we come out of a recession or a depression, but I'm willing to hold on to it for the long term. So the stock I'm asking about is Iron Mountain. See now what she did? Lori talked about willing to hold on to it for the long term. That means she's willing to ride the vicissitudes of what could be a tough time because they do uh, just you know they do information management, but most importantly they do uh, destruction. Okay, they shred. And if there's fewer offices, there's less shredding. Let's go to Alexandra in Connecticut. Alexandra. Hi, Jim. I'm a 22-year-old investor and have done a bit of research on Blueprint, uh, Blueprint Medicines Corporation. I was wondering how you like the stock. I like that. It's a, you know, look, it's a spec, three, $3 million, billion dollar spec. But it is a spec, and I like it. And I like biotech specs. You can own one of them. No more than one. Let's go to Rodney in Florida. Rodney. Professor, Professor Booyah, how are you, Jim? Oh, man, I'm good to go. What's happening with you? Hey, brother, we appreciate all you do for us down here. We're sending a lot of sunshine and love up to you. Got the edge on me. What's going on? Hey, uh, TRGP, Jim, you had talked about them a while back. Well, what's your thoughts on no, them at no, this time? No, no, not gas midstream. No, I mean, no. I mean, like, absolutely not. No, I mean, not even like, no, no, no. All right. Sorry, Lori has some nice comments. I didn't thank Lori it's from Philadelphia Stripping. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. From the very beginning of this outbreak, we've heard some ridiculously false things about mass. First, the World Health Organization and the CDC told us that they won't really protect you from the virus. Then all sorts of knuckleheads have argued that they don't really fit, so what's the point? Or that they can't be found or being hoarded by the Chinese. It's all nonsense. Everybody should be wearing a mask when they have to go outside, period. Not only do they protect you, more importantly, they protect everyone else along with you. The most frightening thing about this coronavirus is that you can have it without showing any symptoms for weeks, even if you have those symptoms. You have to behave as though you have it, which means wearing a mask to protect the people around you. What about this notion that there are no masks to be had? Four words. Do you have Amazon? Right now, the selection is both better and faster than it was in February. Sure, there will always be people who don't want to wear masks, including the president of the United States. There will always be droplets that can get through the mask or infect you via your unprotected eyes. Nothing's perfect. But it's no coincidence that countries where you're expected to wear a mask when you're sick have done a much better job of slowing the spread. Masks work. 
That's why we should be throwing masks at essential workers. If you're going to check people out at the supermarket, boom, you need a mask. If you're riding the subway to work, you need a mask. Even if it's only partially effective, that's a lot better than nothing. We know physical distancing is working to slow the spread. We can tell because we're, we're finally flattening the coronavirus curve. But there are still situations where physical distancing is impossible. Public transport, waiting in line to file for unemployment benefits, voting in an election. I think it's nuts that we don't require masks in these circumstances. Hey, remember that organization OSHA? It used to be this important arm of the government that helped protect people from workplace injuries. Well, guess what? Customers are now an occupational hazard for workers. Why not demand the customers wear masks when they enter a Walmart or a Lowe's or a Home Depot, a Costco, a Target, Kroger? Believe me, any place where they demand mask wearing will get a lot more customers. And how about the employees themselves? Who wants to chance it? I don't understand why OSHA isn't being more proactive here. I don't understand why the stores themselves are willing to risk both their employees and their customers. Again, I know masks aren't super optimal. We may not wear them correctly. We may may not be trained in the right way to put them on or take them off for that matter. It, It won't be perfect. I say, so what? We can't afford to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Put your masks on. Save some lives. It's just common sense. Stick with Kramer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. Markets in Turmoil with my friend Scott Wapner begins right now. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening what it all means get the truth not the spin the news with shepherd smith subscribe to the podcast today